So Money Episode 848, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host, David Fox. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Do you know what day it is? Come on. I've been kind of prepping you all month. It is my birthday, ladies and gentlemen. I don't have any cool sound effects over here on the So Money production set, which is also my apartment, Um, but the bells and whistles are going off in my head all day. This is uh, a special day. This day kicks off the last year of my 30s. I'm not one of those people that doesn't reveal her age. And that's all I'm going to say about my age. So you can do the math, but it's going to be quite the year. And I think like 39 actually is same with 29, 19, all the nine years. I feel like they don't get enough um, excitement going for them, you know, because it's all about like, well, I'm going to be, you know, for me, I'm going to be 40, you know, in a year now. And it's all about looking ahead to 40, which we already are. My girlfriends and I, all of us turning 40 um, in 2020, we're going to do some wild and crazy things. So if you're not sure about whether to stick with this podcast or not, if for no other reason, stay here because you'll be hearing about all the behind the scenes of our preparations for turning 40 and all the all the crazy things we're going to have planned. And maybe you can, you know, maybe we can crowdsource what we should do. Tell me what I should do on my 40th birthday. Would love to hear from you. Um, so today is the 15th. Like I said, it's my birthday. It is a working day. I am uh, recording this not on the 15th, but I know that on my birthday, I will be at The Wing in Dumbo, where uh, I meet every Friday now with my Stacks House squad. And I've been talking also about Stacks House on this podcast for some weeks. It's an exciting new business that I've launched, co-launched with two amazing women. We are bringing a pop-up to Los Angeles that is all about financial independence for women. So if you've been to the Museum of Ice Cream, if you know about Museum of Pizza, you've been to Candidopia, you know, what is it? Color Color Factory, all these like really cool ticketed pop-up experiences. This is what we are going to try to execute, but with the purpose of having fun and educating people around money. So we like to think that this is sort of a groundbreaking experiment and um, we hope that it will be successful. We have a good feeling it will be successful, but if you're listening and you're wondering how I can support, obviously you can show up. Tickets go on sale March 1st and doors open April 2nd, which by the way is equal payday. April is financial literacy month. It is the year of the pig. And so uh, we feel like Stacks House, this is the year to do it. And we would love to have you come on board and, and, and have fun with your girlfriends, your guy friends. People have been actually emailing me saying they want to volunteer, which has been really uh, just has been really sweet and humbling. And we will be sure to mobilize everybody who wants to be a part of this because uh, it turns out a lot of people care about 
financial independence, female financial independence. Lots more to share on the Stacks House front as we gear up for April 2nd and our launch. But as I said, tickets go on sale March 1st and um, stay tuned for you know where to get those tickets and uh, maybe even some discounts for my So Money listeners. All right. Today is another special day because I'm bringing back a co-host. This is a person who reached out as a fan of the show in 2017, a listener of the show who he himself is part of the FIRE movement. You know you know what I'm talking about, right? The financial independence retire early movement that so many of our guests on this podcast are a part of, people like Mr. Money Mustache and Grant Sabatier and um, Jamila Souffrant, who's the founder of Journey to Launch. And uh, it is a growing community. I like to consider myself part of the FIRE movement, although I don't think I'm ever going to be retiring early because I love my job too much. But David Fox is back, everybody, with some updates. I want to catch up, David, and also you know, pick your brain because you've got a lot of experience and expertise in the world of managing money. First, welcome to the show. Uh, hey, Farnoosh. It's good to talk to you again. So it's been fun to listen to you on the podcast over the past year and a half and see what's what's new. You know, last we spoke was September 8th, 2017. So gosh, like a little less than a year and a half ago. Tell us what you've been doing. I mean, last we spoke, you were traveling a lot. You, uh, you know, had been obviously a listener of the show. You're um, a financial consultant for work. Um, any updates? Anything uh, that you want to share? Um, nothing too crazy. Uh, certainly no kids yet. <laughs> I think um, I actually just purchased my second property um, as an investment. So I rolled the first one into an investment property and uh, just closed on the second in December of last year. So uh, that was kind of a big project for me. And uh, otherwise, kind of looking at you know future travels and things coming up, I'm really kind of bullish on uh, Asia and Africa at this point. So I'd love to visit Africa at some point, either this year or the following year. So I'll be making plans for that coming up. Um, Otherwise, just saving and making sure that being responsible and contributing towards the, uh, the financial independence dream. Yeah. So, well, first of all, Ghana is like topping the list of tourist destinations this year. Which I believe surprised it. me, but uh, I just have a had a friend who came back from Ghana, and he um, he was like, "Yeah, it's not really a tourist destination." But then I saw a list that actually had <laughs> as number one, so that's really yeah. Maybe interesting. it depends on what you're looking for. Five yeah. star resort may not be there, but to be honest, I think it's all about seeing how people live and differences mm-hmm. from the way that you live, and it's probably a prime spot for that. Awesome. So, how do you define the fire movement for you? I know there's a lot of I don't want to say controversy, but, you know, there was this whole back and forth between in the news. Uh, I guess Susie Orman was on um, Paula Pant's podcast, Afford Anything. And oh, yeah. She, yeah, it kind of went, it was, it was a big to do. And Paula it was asked a her. Big yeah. <laughs> Paula asked her, you know, what do you think about the fire movement, Susie? And. She said, basically, I think it's ridiculous. People saying they're retiring early with only a million dollars in the bank. You can't do that. It's like misinformation. And and so, I mean, and then she retracted and said, well, I understand this is not a community that's actually, you know, really retiring. I mean, a lot of these retirees, these early retirees are still bringing an income. You know, they're just not maybe tethered to a nine to five. They're not working for the quote unquote, the man. They're living life on their terms. And so in your 
in your words, how would you define your pursuit of this fire movement or how are you involved in the fire movement? Um, I, I guess at its base core, uh, the thing that seems to kind of bring everybody together in the fire movement is uh, the prospect of not having to make decisions oriented around money or not having to live paycheck to paycheck. So when that happens, you're able to back your decisions out of uh, with financial influence and you're able to make decisions based on you know the things you truly care about and your core values. Um, and that can be different for everybody, which I think is why some people's definition of fire may not meet what other people's definition of fire mm-hmm. is. And fire is a convenient term that encompasses an idea that's been around for a very long time of uh, just being a good uh, custodian of the wealth that you have the privilege and ability to manage. Um, so that's really the kind of core concept. And so whether or not you retire early or you quit work in a full-time job or you open your own business, um, all of those situations can fit under the fire definition to me. Um, so on my end, that's really all I'm pursuing. And I think the details and the, the kind of pieces that are personal to me in that change every day. Um, they, they change all the time. Uh, so some days it's more about, you know, how much money do you have in the bank or how much can you invest in a certain project? And other times it's not thinking about money at all and working on volunteer opportunities or um, other passions that come up or opportunities that present themselves. So that's what it means to me. I like that answer. I mean, your money when managed well at the end of the day is designed to support your choices, your lifestyle. And if, if your money's affording you that, your your ability to say no when you want to, say yes when you want to, to move when you want to, to quit when you want to, I think that's the ultimate definition of freedom. And money might not buy happiness, but it can afford you the ability to make certain choices that can lead to a happier life for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, really glad to have you on the show because we have some questions here from listeners. A lot of these came out through Instagram, some wrote into the website, and uh, I think you'll be able to really um, give some great perspective. The first one is from Jacqueline or Jacqueline on Instagram, and you know she's uh, not sure if her equities to cash mix is right in her Roth IRA. So she's 25 years old. By the way, she's a new listener to uh, the podcast. I just want to say thank you, Jacqueline, for joining the So Money Nation. Hope you're learning and hope you're having a good time. And so her question is about investing in her Roth IRA. She's working with a robo-advisor and has lost a bit of money with uh, an 80-20 risk ratio. So it doesn't really go into the details of that, but I'm sensing um, that it's sort of like 80% stocks and then 20% bonds and cash and and, uh, sort of like, you know, fixed income um, sorts of investment vehicles that are more risk tolerant. She then upped her her risk uh, ratio, I guess, to 90-10, so more towards riskier stuff, and now making some gains. So wondering if she should keep it at this 90-10 level, and she says, do you recommend using any other type of service that isn't a robo-advisor? Um, I'm going to just say that you know, at 25, assuming you know she doesn't have a lot of responsibilities as far as kids, not a lot of dependents, she's not like got a lot of student loan debt, that if it's just her, her income and her Roth IRA and her expenses, that I think she could potentially stomach more risk than, say, me. You know, I'm approaching 40. I've got 
two kids. I've got a lot of financial responsibilities. I, I don't really want to be so uh, over-indexed in the stock market. Um, so I think a, like an 80-20 or 90-10 mix is appropriate for her. And a rule of thumb I've heard, Dave, and you can tell me if this is like, maybe you've heard this too, is you take your age and you subtract that from a hundred. And that is a ballpark of where you want to be percentage wise in the stock market in terms of your portfolio. You'll say she's 25. So a hundred minus 25 is 75. So around 75% in stocks, the other 25% in things like bonds and maybe a little bit of cash. But I think that you could be even more aggressive than that, depending on a couple of things, your risk tolerance. So if you're sleeping fine at night, knowing you've got a 90-10 risk ratio, you know, that's a good sense of where your risk tolerance lies. But if you're up all night and you can't sleep and even like, you know, a weighted blanket's not helping, (laughs) then then I think like you might want to dial it back a little bit. Also your time horizon, right? Like uh, when are you looking to tap this money? If this is strictly retirement and you've got 40 more years, then, you know, take on a little bit of more risk now because you can stomach it. What's your philosophy on this, David? Yeah. um, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with this. I mean, there's a couple of key factors that influence this is one is her age. Um, and then the second, which information we don't have is, you know, how much she makes, uh, if she has an emergency fund, right. um, if she, if this is purely her Roth IRA and she's not going to use it until she retires, she's got all the benefits of compound interest coming and the highest interest that we see typically comes in equities. So she's right to bump it up to 90, 10. Um, for someone like me, I'm 31 years old and I keep almost 100% in equities of retirement. Um, it's really, really close to that. I think I do some stuff in like international markets and some speculative investment type stuff, but I'm really high on the risk scale and consequently pretty high on the return scale. Um, so I would definitely encourage her to keep it as high as she can stomach, um, to your point. Um, without yeah, without any other information on this one, I don't think the risk level is too high given her age. Um, my dad gave me some really good advice when I was younger, and he said to he said make as many financial mistakes as you want before you turn thirty. He's like take risks, <laughs> explore options that you know seem interesting. He's like and, and don't necessarily worry about it too much um, because if you know things really hit the fan and you have a big issue, you still have that time when you turn thirty to turn things around and learn from your mistakes. So she's still in that golden window of, you know. You got five more years, Jacqueline. You can screw up another five more years and then that's it. No more. Exactly. Um, Enjoy it. Don't screw it up on purpose. (laughs) Her other questions about robo-advisors and, you know, I I work with a robo-advisor. I think if you're just interested in opening a portfolio for retirement and in picking stocks or index funds or ETFs, I think that platform, the automated platform that robo-advisors offer is the most cost-efficient. And at the end of the day, I don't think um, you're going to miss out on any kinds of returns. I mean, if you pay an individual to get in your portfolio every week, every month and make moves, you're going to pay a price for that, which will be deducted from your return that year. And at the end of the day, I I don't think working with a robo-advisor is going to be any um, smaller of a gain. You're going to actually maybe make more because you're saving money on all that management and all the management fees that go along with maybe hiring a human being to do it for you. So good luck, Jacqueline, and thanks for tuning in. Okay, Keegan is next, and she wrote in on Instagram. 
She says that her boyfriend and she have been together for four years. They're having a baby. Congratulations. And she is due in June. Very excited. But uh, in preparation for this and, and then to sort of manage the, the childcare costs and, and to sort of like, you know, bomb with the baby, she's going to be taking at least a year off of work. And she said, this was a mutual agreement between my boyfriend and I. He makes good money, she says, but every time she tries to bring up finances, he gets defensive about sharing any kind of information. Uh-huh. Red flag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm afraid to read the rest of this. She says, I try to talk to him about the importance of us having good credit and savings accounts, especially with the new baby, but uh, it's not working. And they have two other children. And so the question she has is, how do I get us on the same page with our finances without turning it into an argument? And it's very upsetting to her. And she's wondering, is she overreacting? I don't think she's overreacting at all. I'm getting a little bit of a high blood pressure right now, just you know, letting this sink in on my end. And I'm not even in this relationship, right? I mean, David, how do you guys manage money in your relationship? I mean, there has to be transparency. That is foundational. Oh, yeah. And you need to keep asking the question. I think there are a couple interesting things. She mentioned that she hasn't left her job yet. She's planning to leave her job in June. So she's got some time. Um, I also agree that she's not overreacting. Um, But sometimes you get to a point with somebody and you just need to have some outside help. because clearly there's emotions and everything involved in a relationship between two people. And so I think it's good to be open to that. You've already mentioned that uh, Keegan mentioned that she's already getting upset about this, um, which is probably the point where it's not a bad time to perhaps schedule an appointment with a counselor or a financial advisor, probably a counselor, just to see what the issue is with him and sharing this this money information. Um, perhaps he's you know hiding something, which it would be the you know worst case scenario. But um, it's important just to get people's opinions on he may have a perfectly legitimate reason for why he doesn't want you to worry about it. Maybe he just doesn't want you to be stressed out or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, but it might be good to consult a third party, a um, somebody who's not doesn't have a dog in the fight, so to speak, who can weigh in on this from a third party perspective. Yes, hundred percent agree with all of that. And you know, going back to the importance of having transparency. I mean, one way to of to kind of stop feeling like you're constantly nagging him, which I, I I think that's part of it too, is like, I, he's just, uh, it's a a dead end with him talking about money. And so she constantly feels like it's her fault or she's being a nag. And that's the worst thing to feel. And I think one of, there's so many technologies out there too, on top of working with a counselor that can help to really level the playing field and keep everybody in the know without needing to ask a lot of questions. So whether that's a mint or a Zeta, Zeta is actually a site that's designed for couples to put all of your accounts on one online portal and one username, one password. So whether you've got your own separate accounts plus joint accounts, this is where you can bring it all to the forefront, see it in one place. So next time you want to know like how much you have in savings or how your retirement account's doing, you can just go find that out for yourself. It doesn't have to become this back and forth. Please let me know where's our money, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and Farnish, you've mentioned that you and your husband, I think, in past podcasts have mentioned that you guys have a joint account, and then you also each have individual accounts yes. that you're able to kind of manage yourselves. And that's probably a key question is why don't they have something to where they can you know, 
share information at least somewhere right. um, and have an agreement on what goes into that shared account. That may be a good strategy for these two. It sounds like they're running things pretty separately at this point. Right. Keegan, good luck. And please let us know um, where things go. And hopefully these were some helpful tips. You know, having a third party can be really helpful in just taking some of the emotion out of this and and having someone who's not in the marriage or rather in the relationship, um, you know, give some really objective pointers. And then having a site like a Mint or a Zeta to give all of your finances transparency. And that way you don't feel like you're going and having to ask for permission to see things. And then, I mean, that's just... I, I really hope you guys yeah. resolve this before the baby arrives too. Cause once, you know, that third baby is just like, you're going to be very busy as you know. And I, I would be uh, a shame if like your financial puzzle piece doesn't get sorted out before then. Yeah. In the meantime, keep those emotions in check. If you can bring it to him and a reason as to why this is a benefit and he can really see that it may open him up. If you're coming at him from a emotional standpoint of saying, you know, of just your voicing your concern, it may just make him feel more anxious. So I think people tend to mirror behaviors of who they're mm-hmm. speaking with. And so if you come into it with a worried, anxious tone, he may, you know, just totally clam up and close up with a worried, anxious tone like that. So come at it with reasons, you know, legitimate, logical reasons as to why you want to see this information and where you see your goals going and ask him about his goals and how you want to reach the, those. It may get him to open up a bit more. I like that a lot. Well, we have time for one last question. And this is another awkward situation, <laughs> but this time concerning work and salaries. So Lauren on Instagram writes, and she learned about so money recently after listening to me on the Goop podcast. So if you haven't listened to the Goop podcast, uh, please check it out. It was a lot of fun recording this interview with Elise Lonen, who is um, – the chief content officer at Goop. And of course, if you don't know what Goop is, that is Gwyneth Paltrow's big media empire where it's all about wellness and financial wellness is a component of that. They have a podcast. And fun fact, Gwyneth Paltrow actually says my name in the intro and gives a little bio on me. And that definitely was fun to listen to Gwyneth Paltrow say my name. Uh, But Anyway, thank you, Lauren, for listening to that podcast. Uh, And then she found so money. And so now her question is about, David, she wants some perspective on discussing salaries with coworkers. She got into an uncomfortable conversation and now a coworker is asking their boss for a raise and using her name and salary in the argument. Oh boy. Yeah. So, <laughs> and how does she know this? Because her boss came to her and said that, you know, she came up in these negotiations that this coworker name dropped her. So, any advice on how to come back from this misstep? Hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, Ooh, it's boy. tough because, you know, on the one hand, I really want to encourage people to, if you feel comfortable and you trust, whoever you're talking to, to share your salary information to the extent that it can help this person have a a, a, a sort of like more like concrete reference point for how much they should be out there advocating for on their own behalf. But I think there needs to be an understanding that this is, you know, confidential and caveated with don't tell my boss or our boss that I gave you this information. I I don't, I think that the mistake was not in being honest, but in not sort of having 
um, an agreement in place already. And I mean, there's really no like, you don't have this person sign an NDA, but you know, hopefully you trust these people. And if they betray your trust, that's just unfortunate. And I don't know how you can really come back from this, but other than maybe going to your boss, Lauren, and and just saying, you know, I I trusted her. Uh, she came to me with some concerns, and I want to, you know, in in the, today's day and age, you know, with so much discussion around pay, pay equality, and I just wanted. I was curious also to know like where she was coming from. Like we were, these conversations are happening, you know, and we're not the only ones having them. I just hope she would be a little bit more um, thoughtful in how she, you know, used this information. And I'm, I'm disappointed to hear that I was like part of this conversation. It was never meant to get to this point um, just to cover your own butt, you know, and be a little bit more like clear with your boss as to what was the intention behind sharing this information with her. It wasn't so that she could go use it as a bargaining chip in her negotiation, which by the way, ever, anyone listening, like that's, that's the worst thing you can do. You know, you never go into a negotiation by saying like, well, I heard so-and-so is making this much and I want to make that much too. You know, how much right. you earn should be relative to your value at the company that you're, that you're bringing forth. And obviously if you are earning less than your male counterpart or your female counterpart and you have the same requirements, same value, all that, then, that, you know, that's, that's a different story. But I think this was a just, this is just unfortunate. Yeah. It never hurts to apologize to the boss because regardless of whether or not you may think that she deserves a raise, that's, that's your prerogative, but it never hurts to apologize just for putting him in that awkward position of being like, well, now I have to, I, this is a problem I have to manage that I wouldn't have perhaps had otherwise. Right. So, um, it never hurts to apologize for that inconvenience. Um, and then I think from then on, you can maybe have a discussion with the friend at the very least, if she gets a raise, she owes you lunch, I think <laughs> for this inconvenience right. of, uh, using your, your information. Um, and then maybe just to be clear going forward, if you're interested in keeping the friendship that, you know, I told you this in confidence and yeah. I'd like to know next time you're going to, you know, name drop me with Yikes. to our boss, especially at work. Burning a bridge. Let's hope yeah. that, um, Lauren is, uh, 25 or under or 30 or under. Cause we can chalk this up to just a mistake you're going to make in your twenties and, and now you've learned and we'll move on and be better for it. Yeah, you can always recommend to friends too, which typically is what I do. If salary stuff comes up, um, if you're, you can always offer not your exact salary, but a ballpark for the yes. salary based yes. on your knowledge, um, and then refer them to outside sources like Glassdoor is a good one if they're looking for a large industry type position, um, or even you know invite them to a networking event where they can talk to other people in the industry and maybe they can find a manager at another company who might be willing to share some of that information with them as far as you know what that company pays employees in a in a kind of a window salary window and then she can make her argument based on that but sometimes it's good to be able to deflect this answer to a few other resources sorry to hear this lauren not cool that your coworker did this but we hope that um it will all get resolved and you know what life goes on you won't beat this company forever and it's a, it's a hard lesson learned but thank you so much, David, for joining us and helping us with our uh, listeners' questions. And yeah, it's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for celebrating my birthday with me, too, on the podcast. Absolutely. Happy birthday. Thank Hope you. you. Have a good weekend here. Be thank careful. You. I'm sure yes. you know, but you got to be careful not to uh, lose your whole weekend by partying too hard on Friday. Well, you know me. I'm such a partier. <laughs> such a partier. Thank you. This was a real treat. And wishing you and everybody listening a So Money Weekend. 